0: Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. everyone's here this morning. Hey, grab a Bible, if you will, and turn to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 this morning is where we are. Exodus chapter 3, uh, pretty easy to find. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in the seat in front of you. Um, or, of course, everything's online as well. You version is our friend. And so if you want to grab sermon notes as well, hopefully you were handed some on the way in this morning. Um Excited to continue on. There was some, a sweet spirit in the room during first service. So I'm excited to continue that and ask the Lord to continue to move this morning. Um, as you are turning to Exodus 3 or getting your phones out or whatever it is that you're doing to prepare yourself, um, I, there are a couple of things that I need to make everyone aware of. Uh, we are right now in the middle of, in 2022, of a pledge campaign called All In. And so here's the, the brief story of All In. There's a family in our church who has felt led by the Lord to pay our monthly loan payment on our SL Kids building. Now that's a that's a lot of money. I, I'm not gonna lie to you on that, and that's a huge blessing. And so one thing that we have said is that out of the 85 families that call South Lakes home, our goal is that 45 families will pledge this year to give monthly support to go towards. building. And what happens is that every penny that is taken in on top of the money that's already been pledged for the loan will go straight to principal. And that's huge. And so our goal is 45 out of 85 families would give and that we would raise about $5,000 more a month. And I mean, I'm not a mathematician anyway, but I do know that's about 60,000 more dollars that will go towards the principal, which is a lot of money. And so um, as of Today, I haven't checked after first service, but we only have 17 out of our 85 families that have pledged to do that so far. And we've only reached about $2,000 is where we are in our monthly support. Now, here's the thing. I'm not, I don't browbeat when it comes to money, but I also know that if you're like my family, you're like, oh, snap, it's that time again. Like, I forgot. And so if you want to, there's a QR code there and you can pledge. Here's the great thing whether you give $25 or you give $200 a month, it doesn't matter because every penny that you give goes straight towards the principal. And that's a good deal. And so um, there's also these cards back there. If you want to grab they're in the lobby, you can grab one and you can drop it in. Our goal though, is that I hope that by I stand up here next week, uh, that I'm able to say, Hey, guess what? We reached our 45 families. Hopefully we reached 50, 55 families of our 85 and we've actually eclipsed the 5,000 mark. So anyway, that's a little update on that. That's super important. And also one more update that I, Want to give, we have been searching for who our new student, uh, not student minister. Um, that would be a surprise for Landon. Uh, uh, we have we've been searching for who our new uh, worship minister is going to be. Grant uh, left in October. And so as is our normal protocols, we'd love to hire in-house. If we can, as uh, someone who's been here and, and understands the culture of South Lakes, and so um, we are hiring in-house and I'm excited to announce that uh, Landon, who's been up here, has actually we offered the Elders did and he accepted and he's going to be doing a duo role of Student minister/. slash Worship minister. So we did hire in-house, even though we had to go out of house to get the student minister. So uh, it's a little it's 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 a little wonky there. But just stick with us on that one, all right? So here's the thing: we're super excited about this. I don't think anyone can really argue with his. Yeah, yeah. I think that one person that's clapping. That's awesome. So. Um, Here's the thing. I've been in church for a long time. So if you don't like this decision, just gossip about it after church. All right. So, um, and and smile and shake his hand, please. Now he's going to do great. I mean, he is fantastic. No one can doubt his, his worship heart. And so, and what he does in students. So we're super excited about that. Okay. I'm done. That's announcements. Now we're moving on to the message. All right, let's, let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please. Even online, please. If you join me in this, I'm going to ask you to pray these two prayers in your heart as we begin. Number one, would you pray this to the Lord? God, help me to be present in this moment. And then the second prayer is this. God, will you speak to me personally this morning? And Father, we just come to you humbly this morning. And whether we're online or whether we're in person, this morning, God, we just give you praise that we're able to have the freedom to be able to worship you this morning, God. We we praise you for what you've done in the first service, God, and thank you for the sweet spirit that was in the room. And we just invite you to continue to to keep working in the hearts of people. So, Father, would you meet us where we are in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of joy, whatever kind of week people are coming off of, God? I pray. That you would be glorified this morning, that you would be lifted up on high, and that we would set our gaze on high, and that we would be reminded that you are a good, good father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, if you have kids this morning, there is one question that is the primary question that every kid asks nonstop. Does anyone want to take a guess on what that question is? It's a one word question. Anyone? Why? Oh, who loves the why questions, right? Why is the sky blue? Why are there clouds in the sky? Why does it rain? Why is it 40 degrees below zero and not snowing outside? Like why, why, why? And if you have not reached the why stage of your children yet, you need to celebrate and thank the good Lord for that, all right? Because when the floodgates open, you will be nonstop just, just, it would just be inundated with why, 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 why. But really, when you think about it, if you really want to get someone to buy into something or to really latch on to what you're you're selling, right? Like the why question is not a bad question. I know it gets old and boring uh, with with our kids. But the reality is this. If someone doesn't truly understand the why behind something, they're not, A, going to fully grasp what it is you're trying to do, and, B, they're not going to be fully bought in. And so the why question is a really good question. Um, You know, they might have some sort of idea on why, but they don't really know yet. Like, for example, my six-year-old, she wants to know why she has to go to school. And when I say, well, why do you think you have, why don't you want to go to school? She goes, because I don't like homework. I'm like, you write sentences and read a little book. Like, kid, it's a lot. But, Dad, it's really, really hard. And I'm like, so you explain it to them, right? And it's not that she's like, let's go to school today. It's just like, all right, I get that. I don't like that, but I get that. For my uh, for my nine-year-old, it's transitioning her from reading books right now. She likes books that have lots of pictures. I mean, who doesn't like a good picture book, right? Um, to more meaty books that have more content and less... Uh, Photos, and so she'll be like, Dad, why do I have to read this? Why can I stick with reading this and this and this? And then we, we talked to her about it. And it's not that she necessarily likes it, but she did come home the other day with a library book that had no pictures, and I'll take that as a win. All right. And so when when people want to know why, they just want to know, hey, give me a reason on why I should be bought in on this. I mean, if you're applying for a job in a field that, you know, let's say that you've been a banker for 15 years and someone else approaches you about applying for their bank and you apply for their bank and they have a whole different process on how they do things. Well, if that bank is any good, then they're going to show you how they do things. They're going to explain to you why they do things that way. And then they're going to teach you, this is how you should do it in the same way. Because if you can get them to understand and to see, and then to teach, then, I mean, then they're going to be bought in. I mean, think about Chick-fil-A, right? Like every time you go to Chick-fil-A and you tell a Chick-fil-A worker, thank you. What is it that a Chick-fil-A worker says in return? my pleasure. Now, why in the world can Chick-fil-A get a 16-year-old kid to say my pleasure when McDonald's can't get a 16-year-old kid to do anything? Seriously. Like, why is that? I think it's because Chick-fil-A is doing a really good job of explaining this is why we do what we do. Because when my wife walks into Chick-fil-A with four screaming children, Chick-fil-A wants her to know you're the most important thing right now. And so it is my pleasure that I got to serve you. And you know what? I should buy stock in Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A robs me blind with my money. Seriously, like simply by saying my pleasure, I'm like, seriously, we got to go to Chick-fil-A again, but they know the why and they're buying in. Now, here's the reason that I share this. I don't think that it's any different on when you're trying to get people to understand why God's word is so important. You see, I can stand up here all day and I do for almost seven years, six and a half years now. Um, I've stood up on this stage uh, since we've been a church, and I've said things like, hey, you know what? The best way to live your life is by lining up with the Word of God. I've said that. I've said that in different ways. And you can say that all all day long. You can say it to your kids. You can say it to your coworkers. You can say things like, did you know that the word of God, according to Scripture, is living and active? In fact, it's the only book in the world that is alive. And that because it's alive, it can do things in your life that nothing else can do. For example, it's like a sword, and it can cut deep down into who you are. Also, the Word of God is like a mirror. If you really want to know what's going on in your life, it's not found on the self-help books of, of at Mardale or at Barnes & Noble. It's not. If you want to know what's going on in your life, read Scripture, and Scripture is like a mirror that shows you who you are inwardly. Now, all those things that I've said are 1 billion percent true, but if someone doesn't know, but why? Then it's just words that I'm saying. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about... Who wrote this? And I think that if we can understand rightly who wrote, who is the author of God's word, FYI, it's God. <laughs> if we can understand that, then I think it's gonna go a long ways in answering the why. Because if we know who God is, then we go, well, why is this so important? And we go, well, it's because God wrote it and this is who God is. And so today I wanna to try to answer the why question by going a different route and answering the who question. So we're walking through Scripture, and we're walking through, um, we started in Genesis, and, and we've walked through the foundation of of everything, when God created everything in Genesis 1 and 2. We've walked through the foundation of society, as we see where the languages came from and all that all that good stuff. We've also seen the foundation of a nation, a special nation called the Israelites. It started with a man by the name of Abram who was married to a woman by the name of Sarai. And she couldn't have a kid, but don't worry, God's God. And so when they were in their 90s, Sarah had a kid. And that kid's name was Isaac. And Isaac, when he got older, he married a, a fine young lady by the name of Rebecca. And after Isaac and Rebecca were married, they had they had kids. Except for they didn't have one kid; they had twins. And so we talked about this last week. And so when uh, when Rebecca was uh, was giving birth, uh, the first kid that came out was Esau, and he was hairy and red all over. The beautiful picture of what you want to see first for your kid, right? big hairy monster. And so it comes out and they name him Esau, which means red because that's what you did. You name your kids based upon what you see to be true about them. Well, as Esau was coming out of the mother's womb, we see that there was a little hand that was holding on to the heel, and here comes the second child, Jacob, and so they name him Jacob, which means heel grabber. Okay? And so you have Esau and Jacob. And so Jacob is a deceiver because that's also what Jacob's name means. We learned this last week. You should listen to next last week's sermon if you, if you need more details on that, okay? So he's a deceiver. And so what happens with Jacob is that Jacob, man, he's messed up, and he has several wives. Now, listen, I would never want, I, I'm, a, I'm 17, almost 18 years into marriage. I would not want to start over again. A, amen, br- guys? I mean, seriously, I did not, I didn't want to start over after six months, like, seriously, I don't want to start over. This guy had multiple wives. And through all these wives, he had lots of children. You want I have why coming out the wazoo from just four kids. I couldn't even imagine why coming out from all those kids, right? And so it, so he has all these kids, but what's important is that he has 12 boys. And from those 12 boys, there's a specific boy by the name of Joseph. And Joseph was the favorite Kid of Jacob, he doted on him, and he bragged about him, and he really made the other brothers mad. In fact, he made Jacob, Joseph, a coat of many colors, and so Joseph's brothers said to themselves, "Let's kill him." So Jacob's older brother, or Joseph, whoa, Joseph's older brother said, "Well, let's not kill him. Let's just really hurt him." I don't know what's happening. So, so they they beat him up and they threw him in a pit. And they say, well, let's make some money at least. So they sell him. They sell him to the slave trade. And eventually, uh, Joseph makes his way. He becomes a prisoner in an Egyptian jail. And through the providence of God, he's finally elevated to be second in control of the entire world. Only Pharaoh is more powerful than him in the whole world. And there's this giant famine that comes on. And Joseph is put in charge of taking care of all the food that all the lands, all the people from all the nations would come, and they would buy food from from, uh, Egypt under Joseph's reign. And so Joseph brings his brothers, the very ones that sold him into slavery, and they end up relocating all of his family into a land called Goshen, which is a neighboring little area in Egypt. And they are under the protection of Pharaoh, but what happens is that Joseph dies, and the Pharaoh dies, and man, those stinking Israelites, that's what they're called at this point, they will not stop having babies. They are like rabbits. No joke. They are just having kids like crazy. And so the new Pharaoh looks around, and he doesn't know Joseph, and he didn't have any affection or love for Joseph because wasn't, he wasn't his second in command. And so what does he do? He goes, let's enslave them. And so they They make all the Jews, all the Israelites, they make them slaves. And for 400 years, they're slaves in Egypt until God raises up a man by the name of Moses. Moses was a Jew who grew up in Pharaoh's house. In fact, Pharaoh's daughter is the one who took care of Moses. But Moses, at the ripe old age of 40, decided that he wanted to go out one day and visit his brothers who were in shackles building things like pyramids and stuff. And he saw that an Egyptian jail guard was beating one of his fellow brothers. So what does he do? He kills the Egyptian guard because that makes sense, obviously. And then he does something even smarter than that. He says, let's bury him in the sand. Now, listen, I don't know if you've ever tried to bury anything in the sand before, but I can imagine a giant human body is not easy to bury. And so he runs away and he runs around for 40 years and he becomes a shepherd boy. And he marries a fine young lady and they have babies And this is where we are. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 1 this morning. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now you may know Horeb by a different name. It's actually also called Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments and stuff were given. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And God said, Don't come near, but take off your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, But I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, but if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What, what should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever." And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Exodus 3 is one of the greatest chapters in all of the scriptures because what it does is it rightly helps us understand who God is. And there's two truths that we need to understand about God that we can extrapolate from uh, Exodus chapter 3. The first one is this, is that God is a transcendent God. God is a transcendent God. Now, what that simply means is this, is that God is above us. God is above us in every way possible. And that makes sense, right? Like you don't, if you're into pottery, you don't like make a pot on the potter's wheel and then go, oh, we're equals. No, you are the creator. And so you are greater than the creation that you created, right? And so it makes sense that he's transcendent. But the other side of the coin is this, is that God is also imminent. And imminent simply means that God is also among us. He's with us. Now, what I just shared with you, the transcendent and the immanent nature of God is a very distinct Christian way to look at a deity, okay? Because all other religions in the world will say this, why would a deity who is transcendent or so far above us ever bother with coming down to his creation? Like, that doesn't make sense. And that's why, especially um, if you've ever had conversations uh, with Muslims before, Big point with them is, number one, how can there be three gods in one, the Trinity? But two, God, re- Jesus really couldn't be the Son of God because why? Like, why? Why would God not just send a prophet? And that's why Jesus is known as a prophet, right? And nothing more, okay? So that makes sense. So here's the thing about being transcendent, though, okay? um, If God is transcendent, then what God is showing us in this text is that as being a transcendent being, he is self Defining. Now, this is really big for us because we live in a day and an age where you and I we think that we have a right as a as people to define who God is. We want to make God in our own image. Now, you go. I've never done this before. No, we actually have. You just don't realize you're doing it. Perhaps we do it when we say things like, "Well, surely I don't think that God would do that." What you're doing is you're defining God. You're you're, you're telling God who who. You think he should be and what he should do. Or perhaps if you're not, if you're if you're on the fence about you know God and, and religion and everything, maybe you said something like, Well, surely if there was a God, he would, and then you fill in the blank. See, what you're trying to do is to make God into an image that you're okay with. And so what happens is that when we're trying to distort God, we make him into a concept instead of a reality. All right, and What I mean by this is that a concept is something that we as people can bend into our image. It's actually quite easy to do. You can bend things into your image so that you can wrap your mind around there. The problem is that in Exodus chapter 3 is that God clearly says, I am not a concept which can be distorted. I am a reality. I have defined myself. In fact, it's actually super insane to think that we as the created could define the creator. It'd be like this. Let's say I go up to you and I say something like, hey, what is your favorite breed of dog? And you think about it for a second. You go, well, my favorite breed of dog is the walrus. And you go, what? Yeah, my favorite breed of dog is a walrus. And after I slapped you for just being silly, right? I'm going to be like, that is not what a breed of dog is. They go, no, no, that's, that's what I say my favorite breed of dog is. See, this is exactly what it's like when we try to define God in our own image. It's like we're trying to say he's something and we're like, what? Or another thing that we do is that because we have a problem with putting him into categories, we want, because he doesn't really fit into a category, so we'll we'll put him into categories that already exist in society. And so when we place God into categories that we can grasp, that we can manipulate and to wrap our minds around, what we do is two things. We demean and we demote his uniqueness because God cannot be characterized by anything that we can wrap our minds around. So that would be like if I went up to someone and said, hey, what is your favorite breed of dog? And they think about it for a second. And they go, my favorite breed of dog is the dogfish. Now, the dogfish is an actu- it's real it's a shark. It's a, it dwells on the bottom of the ocean, right? And it, it scavenges for food. Okay, Okay. so we're, at least it's not a walrus. At least the word dog is in the word when you're trying to define what's your favorite breed of dog. But a dogfish and a dachshund are not the same thing. But when we lump God into a category, for example, with all other deities like the world likes to do, and we go, well, guess what? All roads actually lead to the same place. We're all worshiping the same God. We just call him different things. See, what we've done is we've demeaned and we've demoted God's uniqueness because God is not Allah. It's not. God is not like any other deity that other people have worshiped for thousands of years. He's not so what we see in this text is that we see God introduces himself with his personal name. And his personal name is really weird because it doesn't fit into any of our categories. Verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Now, here's the thing. If you go up to me and you say, hey, Joey, who are you? If I say I am, then you would expect that I'm going to follow that up with I am a husband or "I am um, I am a boy or I am a dad, or I am a pastor, you know, whatever. I am a screw-up, whatever it is, right? Like, I am. Because we have to fill in the blank after I am because I am doesn't fully explain who we are, so we have to give some sort of descriptor to do that. But what God is doing here is he's giving us a circular argument. He's giving us this circular argument, and he's making a point by doing this. He says, listen, I am, and Moses is like, okay, who are you? I am who I am. I, I am who I am. In the Hebrew, you could also translate it as this, I be who I be. I be who I be. Now, we don't call go throughout Scripture and just put I am who I am or I be who I be everywhere. And so what we've done is that's the word of Yahweh or Jehovah. That's the proper name of God. And in your Scriptures, it's going to be where the Lord is all capitalized. So if you've ever been reading, you go, I wonder why Lord is all capitalized here. That's because that's the official name of God. I am who I am. That's Yahweh. And it's used over 6,800 times in Scripture. So I have four girls. I've said that. And one thing that my wife needed to know is that, listen, when it came to names, I just wanted to make sure that the name, I, I actually, I wanted my my girl's initials just to spell a word. <laughs> I, I thought that'd be really cool, right? I'm, our last name's Dean, and so it's kind of easy to do. My wife did not go for that, all right? So she would pull out the baby books, or she would pull out the 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 baby naming apps, and she would be like, well, what about this name? It means lovely brook." And I'd be like, okay, fine, whatever. That's great. Um, And I realized that we don't necessarily put as much stock into when we name our kids' names. Like back last week, we shared that, you know, what a kid was named was really who they became. So Jacob meant deceiver, and he was very deceptive. He was a flat-out liar, and he was a manipulator. And that's who he was. So we don't necessarily think that way, but we also don't want to name our kids something that if you look up in the baby book, it means dumb-dumb. Like like if if Kira meant dumb-dumb, I promise you, as funny as I think that would be, all right, I, I would not have named my kid Kira. I wouldn't, all right? Because I don't want my kids. Because I know how savage kids can be. And they would find out, oh, Kira's name is Dum-Dum. So they would just be called Dum-Dum, right? I know because I was that kid that used to find out what your name is. I'd make fun of you. I know. I was a horrible kid, right? I was. And so, but if you were to go to that baby name book and you were to look up Yahweh, the description for Yahweh would simply be, I am who I am. I be Who I be. That's all the description that you need. Because by God self defining Himself and giving us this circular argument, there are multiple things that God is telling us about Himself in this text. Number one, He's saying, I have been who I've always been. So I I haven't changed. Number two, I am consistent. In other words, if I think something's wrong in the beginning, I think it's wrong today. So, just FYI, if you think that scripture changes and that you're like, well, it was wrong in the Old Testament, but it's not wrong in 2022 because we have evolved as a society, you may think that you've evolved as a society, but I promise you, if God has said that it's wrong in the beginning, it's still wrong today because He's consistent. He, I, I don't want a God that's not consistent. I don't want a God that's going to say, well, it's okay to do this today, but it's not okay to do this tomorrow. So He's consistent. His name also tells us that He's not going to be shaped. By others. In other words, we can't put him into a box, which leads to the next point that I cannot be placed into a category. I am not like anything else that you know. Why? Because I will be who I will be. It's a circular argument that God is giving us that points towards his grandeur and to to his transcendence. And here's the thing that we know, because God is so much above us, because he is transcendent, we can believe that every promise that God makes will 100% come true. Why? Because he is capable of carrying out every promise that he makes. Let let me prove my point here. Uh, Look in verse 16. So he says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. And look at this. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And and after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver, for gold, for jewelry, for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. What God is doing after introducing himself is he's clearly laying out precisely what's going to happen from this point forward. So he says, Moses, you're going to go back to your home. You're going to go back to the household that you were raised in for 40 years. And when you get there, there is going to be a war that breaks out. It's going to be a war between two great I ams. There is the I am who I am, me, God. And there is the self-proclaimed deity known as Pharaoh. And there's going to be a war that breaks out. Now, I just want to say a side note real quick that if you're not tracking with us through reading the Bible chronologically or if you've kind of been sporadic in, in your reading, I'm telling you, this is a great week to pick up on it because it the story is like ridiculously good, all right? Like if you want to jump into the middle of something and just read and go, what just happened there? Like Exodus 1, it's the place to start. So I would encourage you to jump into that journey. That's a side note. That's free. You don't have to pay me for that, okay? So here's the thing. We know that the promises of God can be trusted as true because I am who I am has made them. And you go, I don't understand how that proves any kind of point. Well, here's the thing. It is hard for us to wrap our minds around that God always carries out his promises because you and I make promises all the time that we're not able to carry out. We do. We do it all the time because we can't control all of the circumstances surrounding the promise that we're making. So I've I've shared this in the past. It's like when something's going really bad in someone's life, and we've all been guilty of this, we'll say something like this. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Now, the reality is that we don't know that. Because we don't control all the situations around there. Let me, let me see if I can prove my point this way. Um, several years ago, my poppy dean, uh, this is my dad's dad, was driving to the hardware store. And my, my grandma dean was in the passenger side seat. And my grandpa turned out in front of a car and got T-boned. Okay? Got the phone call. It was during Christmas time. My wife and I were living in Duncan at the time. We didn't have any kids. We were up for a, a dinner that we were going to, and so we rushed to uh, Midwest City Regional Hospital. When we got there, Grandma was dead. And after Poppy processed things, he shared what happened that night. And he shared how they were just running to the store. Grandma Dean wasn't even supposed to be in the in the car. She just said, hey, Geneva, you want to jump in? And she said, sure. They just love being together. So they turn, he turned in front of that car my poppy said, I'll never forget this, that my grandma kept looking at my my poppy and said, Joseph, Joseph, I'm scared. I want to get out of here. Please help me get out of here. And my poppy looked at my grandma and said, Geneva, everything is going to be okay. Now, was my, was my poppy wrong for saying that? No, no. But did my poppy make a promise that he couldn't keep? He did. Because my grandma looked great on the outside, but internally, her body was wrecked. He didn't know that. He, he didn't know. But he made a promise. And You go, well, really, is that a promise? Well, it, it, it is. People see it that, that way. When you tell your kids everything's going to be okay, don't you think they trust you enough that they believe that that's going to be true? See, we can't control all the circumstances surrounding things, and so... When we make the statement God will make a promise and it will always come true, we're like, "Well, that can't be true because I can't do that. No, we can't, because God is outside of time and so He sees it all." See, I don't know if you picked up on it. I, I emphasize a lot of words here um, when I was reading, but did you notice that God never used the phrase "I may" or "if" when He was talking to um, to Moses? He didn't say, "Well, I may do this and this and this and this if this and this and this and this happen." He doesn't say that at all. In fact, God makes very definitive statements here. He speaks with exactness. You're going to go. Pharaoh's not going to like it. I'm going to have to bring the whole wrath of basically heaven down on him, and he's going to finally let you go. And by the way, you're going to literally plunder Egypt. You're going to take all of its gold, all of its clothing. You're going to take it all. And when you read the story, and I don't mean, if you haven't read the story, then when you jump in this week, this will be a spoiler alert, all right? That happens. And we, looking back in 2022, can say with exact confidence, wow, when God says something's going to come true, he means it. In fact, that's just one example in Scripture where this comes true, where God makes grandiose statements, and they come true exactly down to how it's supposed to come true. See, God doesn't guess, and God doesn't hope when he says things. He knows. And the reason that he knows is because he's transcendent, because he's above us. But remember, the distinct Christian thing is that it's not enough for God just to be transcendent. He's also imminent. So look in verse 7. So this is in the earlier conversation uh, before we get to all the, the detail. This says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land To a good and broad land. See, God is also imminent. We see that God has come down among his people and he knows their hurts and he hears their cries. See, it's very important, especially when you're reading scripture, that we wrap our minds around both the transcendent side of God and the imminent side of God. Because if you don't wrap your minds around both the transcendence and the imminence, what happens is that you have holes in your theology and you run into a whole list of problems. So for example, if in your mind today, God is simply transcendent, he's just above you and he actually hasn't come down to know you. He's not not imminent in your life then you're going to start asking yourself the question, then what does it even matter? Because he probably doesn't even care about me. Think about like this. Like I don't know the president of the United States. I don't know him. I don't know good old Joe. I mean, we share a name basically, but I don't know him. By the way, it's not a Republican Democrat thing. So don't get that out of your mind. All right. So um, I feel like everything's political nowadays, right? So um, it's not because of that. It's just because Joe Biden's the president of the United States. And I'm just a citizen. Now, do I think that he cares about the overall nation of the United States? Absolutely, I do. Then he wants to do what's best for us. But does he know Joey Dean, who lives in Southwest Oklahoma City, who is the pastor of South Lake Church? No, he doesn't. And if you think that God is just transcendent, then you go, okay, well, I am a citizen on the world, (laughs) on the globe. And so, sure, he wants to do what's best for everyone as a whole, but he doesn't know me personally. And if he doesn't know you personally, then you don't think that he sees you when you're hurting. That he doesn't know you when things aren't going well. On the flip side, though, if you think that God is just among you, if you think he's just imminent, that he's not actually above you, then you're going to treat God more like a friend. And you see God more as as, as equals. We're co's. We're, we're, We're working out this life together. And when you're doing that, then you have no holy fear in your heart because you're not actually walking through life with a holy God who is above you in every way. You're walking next to your homeboy. And so you walk around with a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy, and I'm cool with that. Like your favorite Christian song is probably, Jesus is a friend of mine, right? Or I have a friend in Jesus. All those things are great. Those are good things, but that only paints one part of who Jesus is or who God is, right? And so if you don't think that God is above you, then there's really no reason to acquiesce your life to the things that he says is true. So we have to wrap our minds around his transcendence and his imminence. And when we do that, this is what happens. And this is when it really started to click with me. When I wrap my mind around that God is above me, but God is also with me, it unlocked when I read this because I was reading not just scriptures that was written by by a holy God who sees all and knows all and makes promises that he can keep, but it's written to someone who he knows intimately, that he knows the struggles that I go through and that he knows all the things that I go through. You go, but how does he know that? Well, let's talk about Jesus because Jesus plays a huge role in this, right? He plays a huge role. So don't worry about turning there unless you just want to reference it. In John chapter, 8, though. Here's what's going on. Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the preachers of the day, they are really having a hard time trying to put Jesus into a, a box, into a category. So they're trying to wrap their minds around what category do you fit into, bro? And so here's what happens is they finally say, listen, you've got to be demon-possessed. Now, listen, I, I have not had a lot of conversations with people who have claimed that I am demon-possessed, but if anyone's calling you demon-possessed, you should just walk away because they do not want to have a casual conversation. You know, Seriously. And so, but they're saying to Jesus, you must be demon possessed. And this is what Jesus says as they're trying to wrap their minds around him. Look in verse verse 53 of John chapter 8. It's going to be up on the screen. This is what the preachers say Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets, they died. And who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, But if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God but you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. That's a a shot in the dark there. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so, after accusing him of being demon possessed, Jesus said, Listen, you know Abraham, the father of our nation, the very first Jew that God called out from the land of Ur? Yeah, I know him. Oh, and he knows me. And the preachers go, Wait a second. You're not even 50 years old yet. Abraham lived thousands of years ago, and Jesus said this. Well, here's the reason that I know him. I know him because I am. And that really doesn't make a lot of sense unless you just read Exodus 3, and I tell you that when Jesus makes the statement before Abraham was, I am, he's using the exact same word that God described himself with out of the burning bush in Exodus 3. So Jesus was making a claim saying, I know Abraham and he knows me because I am who I am. I be who I be. And so the the preachers of the day, man, they were ticked. So they picked up stones to stone him because that's the only thing you can do when someone claims to be God, right? It's blasphemy. And so Jesus sneaks out. But what we see here is that because he makes the claim, I am God, and because of the story of Jesus' life, we understand that the greatest picture of God's imminence is actually Jesus. In fact, one of Jesus' names in the book of Isaiah is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we know that God has come down to be among us. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, like he sent Jesus, He sent He sent Himself down to be amongst man, to be among us, to be to be imminent among us. But yet it's not enough that Jesus was just imminent. Because if Jesus was just imminent, if he was among us, then that doesn't really separate him out from you and me. Like, I'm imminent. I'm here with you. Like, whoop-de-doo. Who cares? It's not the imminence of Jesus that sets him apart. It's the transcendence of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is setting apart here. He's, he's saying, listen, I am imminent with you now, preacher boys, but I am transcendent as well. And we know that. Why? Because he walked out of the grave. He's the only one who's ever done it on his own power, and he's the only one who ever will. And he walked out in victory and said, I just conquered death. Who else can do that? Mic drop. That's just how I did it. You want proof about deity? Maybe healing blind people and walking on water and calming storms and feeding 5,000 people with a piece of bread? Maybe that's not enough. Maybe walking out of my own grave on my own power. Maybe that will do it for you and that's why it's because of Christ's transcendence that we know that we can trust in his promises because he has proven that he is transcendent as above us then when Jesus makes statements like this John 14:6 says I am the way the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So remember I said that all of the world likes to put God in a little box and we like to say, well, he's just like a deity like everyone else and everyone's trying to take the same path up the mountain and we're all trying to get to God. Jesus comes in and says, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, all your paths are leading to hell because <laughs> I am the only one who has the path that can get to God. I'm it. And let me prove it. Let me walk into my grave just, just a few years later. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me show you. So when he says things like this, to the leading Pharisee of the day, to Nicodemus in John 3, 3. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he's talking to a preacher who's lived his entire life trying to please God by doing things, by check checkbox theology. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do this, 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 this. And Jesus says, listen, your religion is great, but it's going to get you to hell. What's going to get you to, 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 to where you want to go, the kingdom of God, is me. You got to be born again. You have to experience a new life, and the new life can only come through me. Or when he talks to the no-name loser woman at the well. I mean, she is a nobody. And she comes in the heat of the day to draw water from the well, and Jesus is hanging out there because he wants to talk to her. And he says this, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. Again, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says, listen, do you want to be spiritually I, your spiritual thirst to be quenched then it's me it's me and she had all these questions like well where, do I, where where's the right place to worship and what's the right song do I sing contemporary songs or do I sing hymnals or do I do I stand when we pray or do I sneal when I pray or do I do I go to this church do I should I be Presbyterian or should I be Church of Christ or should I be Catholic or should I be that and she says listen here's what you, you know what you want to be you want to be a follower of me you want to be a follower of me it's what you want because I'm the way I'm the truth. And I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm going to walk out of my grave. Just a few, just give me some time. Give me a few years. I'm going to walk out of my grave. I'm going to prove to you that I'm transcendent. Right now, I'm imminent. I'm among you. And Hebrews tells us that the reason that Jesus came to be among us is so that he could go through every trial that you and I go through so he can sympathize with us. So Jesus went through what does temptation look like? Jesus went through what happens when you want to get mad and you want to throw a table, but you shouldn't. What happens when you're riding a camel and someone cuts you off and you want to wave that bird? Like, seriously. Like, he went through all of these things to live the life that we live, but he did it in perfection, never messed up. And he did it so that Hebrews tells us so that when he, he's before the Father right now and he's making intercession for us because he knows what it's like to be Joey because he lived the life. Because he lived it. He lived it perfectly. So here's some takeaways, then we're going to get out. I think Doba is calling our names, okay? A couple things. Number one is this. and Let's just piggyback off of Jesus real quick. I need you to hear me, that you, this morning, have not out-sinned the grace of God. You have not out-sinned the grace of God. See, I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy is this, is that, let's just be honest, is this room a room full of screw-ups? Absolutely. I'm a screw-up. You're a screw-up. We all screw-up. We do it. Does anyone have the perfect marriage in this room? If you do, trust me, you don't. Like, we all have things that we, that we... It's not perfect. Do we have the perfect kids? I don't care what kind of cute pictures you post on Facebook. You don't have perfect kids. I don't. It doesn't matter. We're screw-ups. And one of the greatest lies of Satan is when he goes, Joe, you are a screw-up. And you know you're a screw-up. But you know who else knows you're a screw-up? God does. And you've crossed the line. You know, Scripture tells us that when we're saved, that God adopts us into his family. And the lie of the enemy says this. There's a point where we can mess up enough where God says, I'm going to annul the adoption, and I'm kicking you back out. And the reality is that that's actually not true. Once you're adopted, you're adopted. You can't. Listen, my kids are boneheads. They are. And I joke all the time. Like if I get rid of one, I still have three and I'm happy. One of them can surely take care of me in my old age. But the reality is that, you know what? They're not going to do anything that's going to get me to kick them out of the house. Christy won't let me. So (laughs) it's just not going to happen. I love them. They're mine. And I will love them through screw-ups and mess-ups. I love them because they're my kids. And you will never, if you are a believer this morning, like you've asked Jesus into your life, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, I have great news for you. You have not screwed up to the point where he's like, I'm done with you. Now on the flip side, one of the lies of Satan is this, is that if you haven't given your life to Jesus, and we say to ourselves, well, let me get myself cleaned up. Like I'm too messy. I can't present myself to Jesus, right? That's also a lie. Because there's nothing you can do to clean up enough so you're, you can't walk to the cross and be like, all right, here I am, but let me scrub a little bit. Jesus is like, no, 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 that's okay. I died for all of it. I died for all of the sins. I died for it all. You have not outsinned the grace of God. The transcendent God who's above you in every way has come down to be among us and he offers us full forgiveness. And we can trust him because he be who he be. Number two. You can never outgrow your need for God's imminence in your life. I think this is really big. You can never grow a point where you're like, well, I don't need God anymore. I have arrived. That's actually not true at all because we constantly need God. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear that we're pretty helpless without God. We're pretty helpless. Um, and we need God in everyday life to help us walk through things. Listen, said, I don't know if you're how great your kids are. I need God to help me be a more patient father. <laughs> I do. I need that. And I can tell when I wake up in the morning, in fact, Friday morning, I slept in and I didn't get my quiet time in like I normally do. And um, I was a different dad that day. In fact, I told Krista, I was like, I'm just off today. Not that I'm a great dad to begin with when I do spend time with Jesus, but I'm just off. I just need God to help me be better. And I can never outgrow my need for him in my life. I needed him as a savior At the age of 14, when he showed me I needed to be saved. And I need him every day to give me the ability and the strength to say yes to him every day. One of the more difficult passages that people have had trouble with is in the book of John, the gospel of John. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus says this statement to his disciples. He goes, hey, listen, I'm going to leave, but it's really good that I leave. And his disciples say, how can it be good that you leave? You are literally God, like, in the flesh. And Jesus says, oh, there's someone better than me. His name's the Holy Spirit. You know what's better than Jesus walking and talking with us every day? Is that Jesus living inside of us. So he gives us the Holy Spirit that guides and directs us to be with us all the time. And we can never outgrow our need for him to speak words of life into us. Lastly, rightly understanding God is an ongoing process. Rightly understanding God is an ongoing process. Now, listen to me, and please listen to me carefully. I know we're at the end. I know I've gone a little long, but here's the reality, is that you cannot rightly understand who God is if you just come to church on Sundays, if that's it. And you cannot rightly understand who God is if you sporadically read the Word when you have time to fit it into your busy schedule. You also cannot fully understand who God is if you're just listening to Christian podcasts, reading Christian books, or listening to sermons all the time. Now, those are all really good supplements, and those are great things to help you with. But none of the things can help you fully understand who God is more than this. This is what helps us to rightly understand who God is. This is what helps us to understand who we are, and this is what helps us to understand who Jesus is. Now, I can listen to preachers all day long. I can't, and I love how they... They let me use a fancy term: exegete the scripture, right? Which is the proper way to preach. Okay, where where you where you're pulling from the text what the text is actually saying. You're not reading your own thoughts into the text. Okay, and so um, I can listen to that all day long, and I can listen to podcasts all day long. I can do that, but if I'm not in God's word, it's not the same. Because you know what, a pastor, I, I'm I'm using the living, breathing text to bring you words. Okay. But to be in the text for living, breathing words, with, with that's, that's what's key. That's what's key. And so rightly understanding God is an ongoing process and nothing's going to replace time spent alone with his word. That's why in 2022, we set up that the most important thing for us to do as a church is let's climb out of the hell that we've been in the last couple of years. And let's do it by getting people back into the source of life. And that's the word of God. It's the word of God. Because well, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what's going on. The problem is that what I've seen is I've seen a lot of people disconnect from the word of God in the last two years. And when you disconnect from the word of God, what happens is you just fall away from lots of things. And you think, well, I'm the same person that I am. And the reality is that you're not. not because you've disconnected yourself from the source of life that can help and so that's why for us as elders we just said let's just get let's basics 101 let's just get people in god's word let's just do that and call it good so that's why i would challenge everyone jump into god's word every day join us on our reading plan it's nothing special it's the word of god and see what happens what happens, and I think you'll be shocked, kind of like I am right now, what this microphone's doing. I think you'll be shocked at how much of a difference it really does make. But the reason it makes a difference is because now you understand who the author is, and the author, transcending God, who is among us. Let's, pray. Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, and I am so grateful, God, that you. You are greater than every distraction and everything that could go wrong in our lives. You are greater than every sin that we could have, Father. And Father, I pray I pray that you would speak mightily into our lives this morning. And I pray that We would rightly understand who you are as God. And then as we understand who you are rightly as God, that it would help us to be able to wrap our minds around the truth of scripture and why, just why it's so important. Why it's important to be a good dad or a mom, a co-worker, a neighbor. just to be a person that honors you, Father. God, I just pray this morning that you work mightily. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you two questions, and then I'm going to get off the stage and stop the madness of the mic. The first question is this. If you're a Christian here this morning, my simple question for you is this. Do you rightly understand who God is? And if you go, well, how do I know if I rightly understand who God is? I, I think a simple litmus test for you this morning is to ask yourself, just what do what the priorities of your life reveal about what you understand about God? Because I think when we begin to rightly understand who God is, then we understand, well, that is important. That is important that I do that or that I spend time in prayer, or whatever it is. So do you rightly understand who God is? The second question that I have for you is, if you're in this room, and maybe you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, or maybe you do, and you feel like, man, I've sinned to the point where there's no way he could love me enough. I have good words for you this morning. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That means this you are not too messed up for Jesus to save you. You are not too far gone. You have not been kicked out of the family if you feel like you have. You are loved. And so this morning, maybe you just need to ask God to remind you that he loves you. Or maybe this morning, you need to accept the fact that he loved you enough that he died for you. You just need to ask him to come be king of your life. I don't know. Everyone fits into one of those two categories. Do you rightly understand who God is? Do you feel like you're too far gone to be loved by Him? Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about South Lakes Church, go to slchurch.life.